to see you all. Though some of many of you have your cameras on. It's always nice to see you and see who's here and be able to say hello. And then, you know, it's nice to see your names too if you don't have your camera on or some people have pictures with their names. Yeah. So we'll begin with the meditation. Uh, if you're new to SFI, we'll sit for half an hour. There'll be a talk for about a half an hour, and then we'll have a discussion or any questions, comments about what I've said or practice. Um, I've always liked to just remind you, it's really great to have, uh, um, to have us interact together about the Dharma and really see what what's been said or what you agree with, don't agree with. So when that happens, uh, make a note during the talk so you can talk about it later. Um, and uh, one other thing. No, maybe not one other thing. No, let's go. Let's sit. I'll give a few minutes of instruction. There'll be a longer period to practice in silence. Very helpful to sit upright. And whatever posture you're utilizing, whether you're sitting in a chair or cushion or bench, it's helpful to have your back relatively upright without being stiff. Good to make sure your head and neck are in, align in alignment with your torso. And as you sit here, please adjust your body in whatever way is needed so that you're as relaxed as possible and as alert as possible at the same time. So the uprightness of the spine uh, supports the alertness. And then letting go of any extra holding or tension that it's uh, easy or simple to release. Might be in the shoulders. Some of us hold uh, our jaw, our lower jaw, so let your jaw relax can be helpful to have your uh, tongue very lightly touching the front of your upper palate behind your teeth and letting the jaw relax from there. 
And of course, letting your torso relax, your belly, arms, legs, hands, be at ease. And let your awareness begin to saturate your body. So that you're mindful of the body from the lived experience of the body itself. And in this way, the first foundation of mindfulness is supportive of an embodied awareness. And of course, as we become more embodied, we're here with the experience of being alive. For many of us, we like to be mindful of the fact that the body is breathing, which is, of course, a very traditional meditation practice. And so you're free to be aware of the body, be aware of the breathing, whatever supports your embodiment here and for some of us it's more comfortable to just be aware of certain parts of the body the feet or the hands the elbows if there have been if there's been some body trauma but finding somewhere that works for you for your meditation here today now in a very simple way.
And at any point when you feel settled, centered, present here in this immediacy of sitting here and being alive, you can open the space of awareness to be aware of whatever is predominant in the field of your knowing, whether it's sound or smell or taste or touch, feeling, emotion. And what that means is you can be aware of thought without being enchanted by the content of the thought or mesmerized by the memory or the plan or the wish that may be conveyed in the thought. Instead of being uh, cathected to our thoughts, we want to be aware of the thinking process that happens all on its own. And the same with emotions or feelings, moods, being aware of them, not having to be identified with them. They're happening where, you're, where you sit and you can be aware of them rather than just hypnotized by them or mesmerized by them. So that we can begin to rest in the knowing itself, in the awareness itself. Letting the practice be very relaxed. It's just about being aware of what's here and relaxing into the into what knows, which is sitting in your seat. Staying very present here, now, this moment, moment by moment by moment, aware of the phenomena of life displaying itself.
There are a few things I'd like to speak about tonight. Um, but one is, uh, I'm going to give an announcement first that I want to remind people, some, some of you know this, some of you don't, that Pam Weiss has a new book coming out. And her book comes out on Tuesday, and we're going to have a party uh, next Sunday here. So please come to the party and wear your best clothes and everything. And here's, here's the book. I don't know how it'll, can you see it? It's called The Bigger Sky, A Fierce Feminine Buddhism. And, um, you know, it's good. <laughs> She's a good writer and it's a good book. Uh, and I've read different parts of it over the years as she's been preparing it, creating it. And now I'm really, I'm sitting and reading it straight through, which I've never done, just read it straight through. And it's good. And it's very personal and it's very powerful and it's good. It's really lovely to hear someone's real story, not just the highlights, but the lowlights also, because I assume we've all each had some highlights and lowlights in our life. Um, so yeah, join us next Sunday for uh, a little celebration here. And um, what I'd like to do is celebrate somebody who inspired me uh, recently. Um, <clears throat> it's a woman, a teacher named Jane Elliott. How many people know who Jane Elliott is? Let me just see, raise your hand, great. Thanks, Allison. Let me, I'm gonna keep scanning, so hold your hand up. Great, Gaston, yeah, not a lot. I didn't know who she was and, uh, and I read about her and then watched a bunch of videos about her and she's like totally cool and the real thing. And I'll say more about her. She's a school teacher and she's been a school teacher for 50 some years. And, uh, and what, what she does in all her classes wherever she's teaching, whether it's elementary school or college, she teaches about racism as part of it. And she's a white woman who's um, very courageous, very honest, very direct, very real, very human, and also has a quality that I like that I call no bullshit. Like she's not into bullshit. She's into being real in a way that is helpful and needed and uh, kind of Vajra sword-like in Buddhism is the language that's used. It's a sword-like clarity that goes right to the truth and stays with the truth. And of course, you all know that Dharma means truth. And that's what the Buddha did also is he was very, I mean, he was oh, great and compassionate and wonderful and enlightened, but he was also fierce when he needed to be fierce and he wasn't shy about that. And uh, Jane Elliott is not shy about being fierce when she needs to be fierce and direct with people. And so I felt inspired by her and I've often given talks about over the many years I've been teaching about people who inspire me like uh, Rio Khan, the Zen poet who I love and and EQ, who was a Zen bad boy who I love, and um, you know, Ajahn Chah, who's in, in whose lineage we teach here, who had a beautiful combination of being real and not being attached to Buddhism 
always appreciated his his uh, freedom that he taught from, and um, you know, and many many other people. Um, Allen Ginsberg has inspired me, and um, yeah. <clears throat> so um, I looked up the word inspire, which I've looked up before, and of course, inspire is like to breathe in and. Uh, aspiration is to also to breathe out. They're both related to breath, inspire and aspire. And that's what I felt as I, as I met Jane uh, Elliott, uh, both in print and then in videos. And, um, and she had a lot, she really, um, inspire is related to the words energize, excite, spark, ignite, arouse, encourage, awaken. And she did that for me and see uh, when you hear about her, but also afterwards when you investigate her, she might do that for you because she's the real thing. Real means she's totally herself and not afraid to use her knowledge, her intelligence, her clarity to talk about the truth and to give people the truth. And she's a teacher. So I relate to teachers a little bit. You know, I like teachers sometimes and, uh, and she's, she's a good one. And so she, she um, uh, inspired my intention to give this talk, right? Another word that's used for intention in Buddhism often is aspiration or aspire. And when I looked up aspire, it says, oh, what does one set one's heart on? Set one's heart on or wish for, or want, or be desirous of, or aim for, or seek, or yearn, yearn for. And she talks about things that I uh, yearn for, and that I wish, and that I really feel um, uh, uh, that my heart is set on that happening, because she's talking about us all being free of our ignorance, our really on a certain level, our, you know, greed, hatred, and delusion, but our ignorance, and especially our ignorance about race. And so in the article, what it said, she's, she's 87 now. I also like teachers who are older than me, and she's older than me, which is always fun to, to meet one of my uh, uh, seniors. And, uh, and meeting, meeting, meet a senior I like, because I meet seniors I don't like also, and I'm not so interested in what they're teaching. And, um, and so she started um, teaching about racism on April 5th, 1968. And as many of you may know, some of you may remember, that's the day uh, uh, after Martin Luther King Jr. got assassinated right, in the South here in the United States of America. And she was so um, shocked by hearing uh, that this happened. And even on the video I saw, she starts talking about it, she starts weeping because it still moves her, it still breaks her heart. And so she's really real about, she's not only fierce, she's honest and real about what touches her and what's meaningful to her. So she was so shocked that she changed her whole um, teaching plan for the next day 
and came up with a new one that would get, and she was teaching children, get children to experience prejudice and discrimination firsthand, directly. She wanted, and she was teaching in an all white school, right? And, and, um, and in Iowa, right? Third grade teacher, all white school in Riceville, Iowa. Like, I don't know if I've ever been to Iowa. That's how not on my map that state is. Iowa. I've been to a lot of states, but not Iowa that I can remember. And, um, and so, um, so she had the dynamism and the courage and the inspiration to change everything in a moment and go teach something new. And what she taught is now known as uh, blue eyes and brown eyes exercise, because it's used worldwide. I don't know about worldwide in the United States to help uh, people understand the privilege and the pain of discrimination. And so what, what she would do is, what she did was split the class into two groups based on one arbitrary characteristic, their eye color. And so if we were really hip, if Zoom was hip, hip I would be able to have you raise your hand, say which eye color you were and put you into different groups. And the blue eyed group would be the, those of you who have blue eyes, you would be in the good group. And you, those of you who are brown eyed, well, you're not in the good group even, and your, your Zoom would not work as well as the people in the blue eyed group, because they're the real thing and you're not, right? You're less than and the, the blue-eyed people were better, right? So she, so those with in blue, who had blue eyes were smarter and superior to the people with brown eyes. And so the blue-eyed people were entitled to perks. This is in the kindergarten, which was they were gonna get more recess time and more access to the water fountain. So this is in the 50s and there was a different world back then, but, but this was the world she was living in, teaching in, responding to immediately and really and fully. And so, um, and she said quickly, the dynamic in the room shifted. I watched wonderful, I'm quoting her now, I watched wonderful, thoughtful children turn into nasty, vicious, discriminating little third graders, right? And the next day, and she just let it happen. She didn't stop that. But the next day they came in and she reversed the roles. And now the brown eyed students were now superior and had the perks and more water fountain and more whatever she was giving them. And the blue eyed students were inferior and didn't get the goodies, right? And so she, she really was trying to give people an experience and I would imagine all of you, if you really reflect, you've all had experience of being discriminated against in some way, shape or form, no matter what your race, religion, gender, sexuality, economics, whatever it might be, that there has, you felt the bias or prejudice from other people. It, depending, it could be your color, could be your size, could be how much money you have or how much education you've had, that you can feel it when it happens, that somebody's cutting you off because of one particular circumstance. 
And she said, um, she originally, she was raised on a farm in Northeast Iowa and went to school. And I'm gonna quote her again. She learned the standard elementary curriculum, which is, she says, what white men did all the inventing, white men did all the discovering, white men did all the civilizing because they were so superior. She said, we didn't talk about race, but we knew that we were okay, but no matter how poor you were, and we were poor, talking about herself and her family, no matter how poor you were, and we were dirt poor, by the way, she says, at least we were white, right? And especially at that time and place, or not just at that time and place, throughout the history of this country, it's a way racism has been used to, um, to keep people wealth on top and people who don't have wealth on the bottom is keeping the, making sure the people who had less wealth, who weren't people of color, knew that they were still better than the people of color. So they had their privilege, even though they, they never went against that economic discrimination that is also part of this country. And of course, she was in school in 1940, right? In elementary school. And, and um, so I've watched a bunch of things I really wanted to learn about. I got excited. And this is something, of course, I always want to encourage you for your practice. When something excites you, study it, learn about it, discover it, examine it investigate it, right? Investigation is the second foundation of mindfulness. Investigate what you like about it, what you don't like about it, what you can learn about it. This is something Sayadaw Uteshaniya says over and over again, no matter what you're, what you're doing, practice what supports it, what obscures it, what gets in the way of it, and, and you know, what do you care about? What do you value? What's important to you? because that is what the Dharma can lead you deeper and deeper into the Dharma. Even if at first you make mistakes or you value something that is not so skillful, keep learning about it. Um, here, a couple more things. Uh, so I saw one video and I don't know where the hell I got these videos, but they got a video of her teaching in college you know, young men and women, multicolored, meaning uh, people of color and people who have white bodies or things like that. I'm just trying to name that. And, um, and she's teaching about racism. And this one young white bodied woman gets very upset. And she's, uh, and she's upset about it and she doesn't like it and she cries and then she leaves and just walks out of the room. And uh, Jane Elliott doesn't do anything. She says, okay, okay. And then like 10 minutes later, the woman comes back and Jane Elliott is like, she said, uh, you can't just walk in here. You left. He said, she said, if you want to walk in here, you need to apologize to all the people of color in this room. That's a radical thing to say to anybody these days, but even, even when she was saying it, maybe 20 years ago, um, she said, yeah, you have to, you have to um, 
apologize to all the people of color. And she, and then she goes, she says, they deal with racism every day and they just can't walk out of the room. So you need to apologize to them if you're having a hard time because nobody was hurting you. You just didn't like what I was saying. And so she's very fierce at times. And, and uh, she said she's been doing this, this uh, blue-eyed, black-eyed exercise with people for 35 years, right? She's been doing it 35 years. And then she said also in this one video, she said, I've, I've, now she's not doing it. She's only um, doing speeches about it because now people turn off immediately if, if they think they're gonna learn something counter to their beliefs. And I don't want, so that's one piece for all of us to consider about the Dharma and how we practice. Because the Dharma will always challenge you. It will always challenge you. And when I say always, I don't mean every moment. I mean, it's, as it gets deeper, it will challenge one's identification, beliefs, holdings, and whatever form of greed, hatred, delusion we may have, no matter how subtle it may get, the Dharma will challenge us because that's its job is, is for us to be free and to be free of all our grasping, clinging, holding on. And of course, I don't mean you have to let go of your children or something. You're letting go of your attachments to ignorance or to greed or to aversion rather than seeing clearly and responding appropriately. And Pam has some nice words in her book about an appropriate response because she's used that for years in her business, the, that title, which is a Buddhist teaching from the Zen tradition. That's just to give you context where um, a teacher, a student goes to a teacher at the end of his life and said, what's the meaning of a lifetime of practice? And the teacher doesn't say illumination or awakening or freedom. The teacher says an appropriate response. And that's a beautiful understanding of what it means to be awake in this moment. Because it's only in this moment that we can respond appropriately to reality, however it presents itself to us. And so, and she went on to say, right, she's only been doing speeches about it because she began to receive, was threatened with death. She said, I don't want to be threatened with death anymore. I'm tired of receiving death threats. And the interviewer said, you've been receiving death threats? And she said, yeah, she was giving a speech in Southern California and her daughter was there. And these young kids, young white males said, oh, wouldn't you like to go up and just shoot her? And the other one said, I'd like to go up and beat her and then rape her. And my daughter, when my daughter heard this, she told the security person and she said the three boys ran, got up and ran out of the building. But, but you know, if you're 87, you're kind of vulnerable, you know? And so you don't want people doing anything like that to you you know, or threatening you in that way. And I've got a couple more little pieces about her. She said, the interviewer said to her in one of the interviews, that you, she said, it frustrates you when people say, I don't see black or brown. Could you elaborate on that statement, on what makes you angry? And 
she said, she said, I see school teachers sit in front of classrooms and say, I don't see black or brown, I just see people. And what these, she says, what these teachers are actually saying is they have the freedom to ignore the largest organ in the body, which is the skin, right? The largest organ in the body. And that these, these teachers are white, so they have the freedom to not, to, oh, I don't see color. I don't see black or brown. And, and, and this is a certain kind of bias, and I'm gonna give it a bigger picture. It's a certain kind of bias I see in spiritual practice in Buddhism. People say we're all one. And so they don't want to pay attention to the uniqueness of each person. Oh, we're all the same. We're all one. So you don't, you don't have to be attached to the fact that there's racism or sexism or genderism or any of the isms that may impact you and that do impact each of us in different ways. You know, if, you know, I mean, right there, oh yeah, you don't have to pay attention to misogyny because we're all one, even if you're in a female, you know, body, gendered body, right? Or if you're a trans person, you know, oh yeah, it's okay. We're all the same. Don't worry about that trans people are getting killed now because they're trans, right? And so that's a kind of spiritual naivete it's only looking at one level of reality when reality is multi-leveled, right? Uh, it's true on a certain level, we're all one. It's just consciousness and consciousness is beautiful and consciousness is good. But we're more than all one, we're all one and we're all embodied in different ways, in different um, colored bodies, in different gendered bodies, in, in different um, bodies with different sexuality, and, and et cetera, et cetera. And to not recognize, to, to try to name, negate one over the other is, is spiritual ignorance, in my humble opinion, which is not so humble sometimes. And um, yeah, so she says, and she goes on to say, she says, oh, really, there's only one race, the human race. And that at one of the things I said, she said, oh, yeah, they've, now they've, they've counted that there's 52 different color of peoples, right? Do you want to make a race out of each color that there is, right? And so she said, uh, yeah, it's time for us to get over the idea of, of a number of races. We're all the same species, just different colors, different shapes, different sizes, different genders. And uh, yeah, and she said, so when somebody says to her uh, that they're biracial, um, she said, well, which of your parents come from outer space? Don't you have one parent who is, isn't a human being, right? <clears throat> and, and she said, what you're trying to tell me, this is her opinion, right? What you're trying to tell me is that your parents are of two different color groups, but that doesn't mean there are two different races. And it is one of the illuminated perspectives to see that we're one race and there are different colors and there is all this bias and prejudice and ignorance that has grown up 
with that, but that was not always true as human beings. I mean, originally, at least my understanding, and she, she supports this, we all come from Africa originally. Originally, all of us are, are, first of all, cousins. Everybody here, no matter what color you are, we are all color cousins. Um, she said 30th to 50th cousins, right? No matter who we are or where we grew up in this earth. And that the, um, originally we all had black parents, really what she said is black mothers, and we all come from black mothers. And, she, and she's very white. And she said, and I look this way because at some point my people moved away from the equator and the, and the pigmentation of, of skin changed over time, meaning centuries and, and millennia until my skin became white. It, it, yeah. And it was two other things I'll say. Something that she said is very interesting. She said, and this is not for all of you because some of you are people of color, but, I'm, but it's, I think, helpful for you to hear. And let me hear what you think of this. She said, white people need to stop referring to themselves as allies. And I really appreciated that. I think it's okay to think that one is on a certain side. But she said, she says, because uh, white people often use that to bypass whatever prejudice, racism, bias, uh, ignorance is still here. Because I'm an ally now. I'm a, one of the good people, right? One of the good men or women or, or one of the good days, right? And she says, White people need to stop referring to themselves as allies as if we can make it all right. They need, what white people need is to educate away the ignorance that was poured into them from when they were in school and realize that they are the reason everybody is so angry. I guess she was talking about the current demonstrations that are happening. And, uh, the last thing I'll say, she said, we live in the land of the free and the home of the brave. And she's being cynical here. She says, white people are the free and people of color are the brave. And it's a beautiful, she's a beautiful teacher. And I don't care what tradition, I'm pretty sure she's Christian originally, but she's speaking the Dharma. She's speaking the truth speak what's real and what we all need to hear and what we all can use to inspire us and aspire us to wake up together so that we can get beyond 400 years of racism and the insanity in my opinion of, of uh, white privilege and white superiority and, and the different way race has been utilized to support economic structures. So those are my thoughts for today. I would love to hear from any of you, many of you. Um, please raise your hand and then I'll call on you and then 
I think you'll be free to unmute yourself. Um, Gaston, please. Hey, Eugene. I'm really glad you mentioned her. I watched. Wait, 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 slow down. I want to turn you up a little. I'm also going to put you on speaker view so I can see it. Great. Thank you. Go ahead. Uh, Hi, I'm really happy you mentioned her. I posted on the chat a documentary from Frontline that I saw. It was filmed in the 80s, and it shows the exercise that she did with the kids back in the 60s. And yeah. then it interviews those kids 20 years later. Uh -huh. And it was life-changing for them. Like it completely took yeah. their lives in a different trajectory and i think if you watch the documentary you kind of get that sense like the the amount of truth that he throws out in one yeah. hour it's really it's unbelievable in the documentary also she does the exercise at prisons with uh prison um employees and guards and, uh -huh. Uh -huh. um it's really amazing i you know i'm i um I'm from Argentina and I moved here 20 years ago. So like half my life I live here now. And when I watch something like this, I always have the hope that a lot of people know about it, but then it turns out like it's not something that's done in every school. Like it feels like it's such a common sense exercise to do. Now she says, cause when I watch the documentary, I'm like, oh, this should be something that every school should do with the, with the students. Yeah. But actually she says, the school should be with the teachers, not with the students. <laughs> yeah. The teachers are the ones that are in, in, you know, throwing the yeah. light. Yeah, really that's, no, of course. Because yeah, we, we all need to learn it. And if you're in that teaching role, if you learn it, then you can give it to people who come to learn, which is what you're supposed to do is teach them. And I'm, I appreciate it. I haven't seen the video you're talking about, the front line. Maybe I've seen some little clips from it, but I look forward to seeing it. And I would encourage everybody, if you just go on the web and look her up, you'll see, you'll find stuff. And I've, I found it from an article in the New York Times about her, and it was an editor's pick. So the editors were pushing it. So I go look, and it was like, oh, she's, she's something. She's great. So, yeah, it's really worth watching. Pardon? It's really worth everybody's time to watch it. It's just an hour and it's really, yeah, it's really good. Great, great. Thank you. Okay. Ben. Uh, hi, Eugene. Hi, everyone. Um, hi, happy to be here. Good. And uh, I wonder if you could please send out her name via the email list so that it's a bookmark for me um, and everyone. Okay. I'm, if I put it in chat, can you all see chat? Um, it's on the sidebar of your computer. You know, on the bottom, if you push chat, you'll get the sidebar. Right. Um, and I'm going to send it to everyone, the name right now. Yes, okay, yeah. Um, I've got the link here. Yeah, and there's her name, Jane Elliott. Uh, Project Implicit, right? Pardon? Project Implicit. 
I'm not, I've, I've got to look. I don't see Krajic, uh, uh, I don't see that. I'm looking. No, I don't think that's it. No, you, what you want is uh, from Gaston. It says uh, you oh, two. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Frontline. Frontline. Jane 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 right. I the name there too. Right. Okay. Good. Uh, yes. Um, got it. So. Um, I'm, am I still on? You're still on. We're we're waiting for you. Come on, get. Okay, I I, I got. Sorry, I got it. Um, I'm supposed to know this stuff. I'm a tech, but you know. Um, and I just wanted to say I am very happy to be here. I'm 77 years old today. This is my birthday. Uh, happy birthday to your body. Really. Yeah. Thanks. And uh, the biggest gift is just a few moments of quietude that I experienced during sitting. That's the biggest gift. Yeah. And being able to observe all my uh, phenomena going on during <laughs> that. All, both, uh -huh. both the quietude that's settled as well as all the, all the chatter and everything because uh, it, it's, it's a gift. And I have to say this about racism. I had a gift when I was a young child. My parents were sort of uh, really not able to give me what a child needs, which is love. Uh -huh. They tried, but they just weren't capable. But they had housekeepers and they were black. Mm -hmm. And there were two of them that I remember, one from Jamaica and one from Maryland. And those women gave me what I needed as a young child. Mm -hmm. And they, they influenced my life so deeply from that. I've heard this be, uh, from other people, other friends of mine, I've heard the similar, as I have a woman, a teacher in the Diamond Approach, who's a colleague of mine who's on the diversity and inclusivity committee there who grew up in the South and talked about how it was the black people who worked for her family who saved her life and that she's always been indebted because there was something that they had that um, white people had lost. And, uh, and so it's an interesting uh, paradox right? That yeah. uh, people who had been uh, enslaved or and then bias has been, you know, in, there it's ever since, you know, racism has been there ever since, are helping their, their um, captors in some way, shape or form. And they, so, they did save my life. That's exactly yeah, right. Yeah. Well, yes. it's, it's, you know, and of course, you can um, give back to yourself by doing whatever you can to help keep freeing everybody, mainly ourselves and each other. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Great. Okay. Um, who else? Miru, please unmute yourself. Hi, Jane. 
Hi. Good to see you, everyone. Hey. Uh, I've been kind of sitting with the, uh, that, that this is a question and the observation and question. The observation is that I've been sitting with some um, kind of a deep sadness this week, um, this past two weeks especially. And the way I, I'm, I'm not white or black, but I'm, a, I'm Asian. Mm -hmm. I, I have not been writing anything or sharing my opinions on social media either too, because there are so many words out there already. And I wanted to reflect further before I share any thoughts too. Um, so, I want to be, so I've been kind of pondering on it. And, um, and I'm not, I'm, I wasn't born here either too. So I'm new to the country. And so it brings a, a lot of kind of, um, so I, I'm doing a lot of work like trying to understand what does race means in the, in the United States. But as I was reflecting on it, I also realized this racism exists everywhere in the world. In Korea, where I'm from, mm -hmm. um, people prefer white, the brighter skin. So when, when we see people from other Southeast Asian countries, South Asian countries like India or Indonesia, then there is this sort of a notion that we look down on them, especially the older generations. Mm -hmm. I don't know where it's coming from because there was no white people in Korea, but it's been there. Right. The same thing in um, Japan too. And, um, and I've traveled quite a bit in Latin America uh, for my work. And my, I have a really good Peruvian friend. She's um, half indigenous because of her parents are one of her parents is indigenous, half um, Italian. And she, so, but then her um, skin is darker side. And mm -hmm. she says, I have to uh, dress up, I have to be dressed up in a really nice clothes when I go to a bank. Otherwise, they're gonna treat me like shit. Mm -hmm. And so in, in the Latin America, they have a more complex culture, cultural heritage um, from the history. But so I now, as I was reflecting on this, so that's my reflection. And then I, the way I'm approaching this is understanding this through my gender too, because as a woman, I've mm -hmm. been through a lot of some discriminations and that was much easier way to process it. And, and it, it, this is how it feels like sometimes, it's just in the air, so. Mm -hmm. that's, yeah. yeah, so it's sometimes, very, sometimes it's manageable, sometimes it's just suffocating. Yeah. And, but then I'm, the question for you is, um, is it fair way to us understand it? Because maybe the severity or the complexity of the problem might be different. So when I say that I understand it from my gender perspective, is, mm -hmm. it, is okay. it condescending or not? Uh, it's not condescending. Uh, it's you're using a certain perspective in which um, there has been bias and prejudice, uh, I don't know, maybe from ever, forever, right? Uh, I don't know how long there's been, you know, because, you know, it, it's, an, it's an animalistic prejudice, meaning um, that men were thought to be stronger and women weaker. And so there, there was the bias, men are up on top and women are lower than, and that, you know, I mean, even I've been watching a few videos about um, about how women got the vote here in America 
And I just unbelievable how long that took, right? In the land of the free, right? When everybody's equal, but women weren't allowed to vote because they didn't know as much, right? Et cetera, et cetera. Um, and and uh, so, so you are, and the piece that I think is important is to see the similarities in how prejudice bias works and the differences based on circumstances, right? Because, and, and even though some of the circumstances may be the same or similar, they're also different, especially economically. I mean, the most unique that I'm aware of is for black people because that was all about money, all from the get-go. And it may always be about money, prejudice and bias to some degree, but, but this was a whole nother level of, of, uh, of, I don't even know the right word, horror really of what happened to enslaved people like that. And, and then to continue it legally, even after slavery was gone. And so, and, but, and, you know, believe me, I'm old enough. I remember the beginning of the women's movement and, and demonstrations and things happening and how, how much reaction there was and how much men didn't want that to happen. And so it's, it's you know, totally the same flavor in that way. And they're different. And then your first question, so don't watch out for any guilt. Guilt is just a male thing. Don't be guilty. And, um, and you know, just keep looking to understand and discriminate. Um, but about the world you're talking about bias, that's a question now I want to investigate. Because what I heard was, I've heard, but I'm not specific, is really that, that somewhere real, real color bias began with the Spanish and their conquering of the world. But I don't even know if that's accurate, but I've heard that. And, but what, what I do understand is there was a time when there was no, nothing about color was part of the deal. And now you're saying it's a little bit everywhere. And I don't know, did, did the United States and the Western bias for lighter, whiter, just spread or did it happen in other countries on its own? And I don't know. And so that's, that's a piece for us to keep exploring. Yeah, I think part of it, at least in the Korean context, what I know is that in the old, old days, in the old days, the upper class didn't work to work in the, on the field. So their skin was always pale and the white, whiter, yeah. uh, brighter. And then the people, working class people had to work in the field and then they got tanned as a result. It shows the class, there's a kind of classism that's really uh, associated with it. Yeah, but can, it goes back down to the money issue, basically. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I mean, that's, I said this, I think I said it in the last few weeks, you know, you want to know what's going on? Follow the money, right? Thank you. Okay. Thank you. Arthur, please unmute yourself. Yes, sir. Thank you. Um, I just want to make some happy comments first. Please. Um, had a really, really nice meditation tonight. I was shocked when the bell rang. <laughs> um, and, and some thoughts arose, you know, in a way you're, you're my first like Theravada Dharma teacher, uh -huh. uh, your SFI inside class, I think 2009 was the first, uh, inside class or anything regarding to the historical teachings I attended. You were talking about Dukkha that day. 
I remember it. Still talking about Duke at it. Right. Too. Yeah. But thank you. Great. And then uh, just, you know, one, one obviously, uh, you know, very deep talk. One thing that triggered me is when I heard the comment of, oh, I don't see color. And, and of course, you're referring to a good person expressing their belief. Right. Uh, so I shared uh, Harvard's University's Implicit Association site. Um, I, would, I would conjecture only a fully enlightened Arahant might be free from racism because they have no more self-identity. Mm. Um, I think, so on that site, there's tests for racism. Wait, 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 wait. How many fully enlightened Arahants do you know? Uh, you know, I'm not sure. Probably <laughs> zero. <laughs> right. Well, I, I don't know so many either. Or I know, I know people who've had different stages of awakening for sure. I don't, you know, and, you know, this, that's, I think it's really important to be careful about the mythology of Buddhism and the reality of Buddhism or the reality of humanness. And, uh, yeah, because it's so interesting. I've met some very awake people, no, no doubt about it. Um, but I haven't seen them, and even the Dalai Lama would say this, he's one of the most awake people I've met, period. And I've spent a little time with him, and, but you know, it's not like, oh, he doesn't get angry about what happened to his people because of the bias of the Chinese government and what they've done and, you know, basically, you know, they've taken that country and that culture and, and killed, you know, lots of people and et cetera. And so, and the, the um, you know, I think, I'm not sure if he said that, I'm trying to remember correctly, but I think he said, of course, you know, you want to love, you even love your enemies, right? You love the people, he, he, but it doesn't mean you like them. Right, and so that's a different, different um, uh, understanding of what it means to wake up. And and I would give him arhat status, or or even greater, right? Because he's not in the Theravada tradition formally. So okay, go ahead, continue. What else? I, I, of course, I agree with what you just said. You know, I arahant is a uh fourth stage is a big thing. I would, you know, I would believe I met some first or second stage people sure. in my life, sure. very fortunately. And yeah. when I saw them express bias, I was shocked. Um, <laughs> but, um, but the point I'd like to make for us meditators, especially, is that we can be good people and have, so to speak, good hearts. And especially we'll use our frontal lobe and our mindfulness to suppress negative thoughts and behaviors and we'll never even express it or admit it to ourselves but our unconscious and you know the lower parts of our mind will still have some of these biases embedded in them and reactivity so the implicit association tests and they have them for ageism sexism racism it forces you to identify and label images it shows you faster and faster and it essentially bypasses your frontal lobe and I think if we all took these tests, we'd be surprised at some of the results unless people who are quite honest with themselves and assume, no, I'm sexist, racist, you know, genderist, ageist to some extent. Uh -huh. okay. And uh, a lot of people who don't know how those tests work, think you, they laugh or they have aversion or they think they can cheat them. You can't. It, it bypasses your frontal lobe. 
<laughs> so I think it's just worth it to note that even though our mindfulness can be very refined and will never allow certain behaviors to act out, uh -huh. they're still inside us. Uh -huh. Well, that's a, that's a very deep question you're bringing up because, you know, I, I, had a, I did bypass my frontal lobe for a while, right, with my accident. And so it was very interesting to see what was there with not the frontal lobe functioning. And, you know, maybe there was all kinds of shit there, <laughs> to be honest, that was really, um, uh, some of it was good and some of it was not, right? Period. And, you know, it wasn't like, uh, yeah. Yeah, it was very interesting. They uh, tell me stories. I still haven't fully read the part in Pam's book about my accident because that's not easy for me to read. And, uh, and, um, and, but the stories that she and other friends have told me about uh, what I would say, uh, especially right after it happened, when I, they were still trying to get me to know, they would ask me questions like, where are you? right? The doctors would. And I would say some great things like I'm here. But I didn't, I wasn't able to say I'm in San Francisco and I'm in the hospital, right? Because that was gone. And so, you know, it's very, you know, but I would say I'm here and in this kind of Buddhist way. And even then, I didn't even know, I couldn't think of anything about Buddhism. I didn't even think Buddhism because that was gone. And so what's there? Because are we actually bound to our brain or is there something more here that's part of who and what we are? And this is really not directly answering your question because you're pointing at specifics about race and, you know, prejudice in general. So, um, you know, I'd be interested to take the test, you know, and yeah, so thank you. If I just may, for sure, I don't think we're bound to the brain, but right. fully, but definitely it has an effect. It definitely has an effect. Definitely an important part of the body. And it's wild to see that we're not our brain and we're not our thoughts and we're not our unconscious or conscious. There's something greater than just that. And that's something that can be discovered right here, right through this practice. And I... I trust that. I know that fully. And so, great. Thank you. Okay. And there's a lot here. There's a lot of stuff. I'm trying to look at the chat every now and again. And uh, there's a few things from uh, Miru about a really great talk between Robin D'Angelo and Resma Menicum, which I just heard. I just heard it yesterday. And what I hear, and you can go to On Being and hear this talk, but uh, somebody, and I heard the short version, somebody just sent me a note and said, listen to the long version, much better. So yeah, so Marie, Miru is agreeing with me. Uh, really great. And again, that, uh, Robin D'Angelo is a woman who um, writes, speaks about white privilege. I believe that's her, the name of her book, White Privilege. And um, Resma Menicum has a book, Your Grandmother's Hands, My Grandmother's Hands, which is about the trauma of racism. And it's fantastic. And he's, he's the real thing also. 
uh, it'd be great if we could get him to come to SFI sometime and do anything. Uh, although I think he's very busy these days. Anyhow, okay, thank you. Uh, who else? Dr. Lloyd. Okay. Hi, Lloyd. Hi, Eugene. Hi. Hey, I uh, just wanted to reflect back. A, a few sessions ago, I spoke to you about a discussion that I had with a friend about... Oh, yeah. yeah, I remember. Yeah, your friend. Yeah, so I wanted to follow up with you. I, you I, I told you about it and said that I sent him the Trevor Noah piece, and then he never responded. Uh -huh. And you said, well, the thing you need to do is you suggested that I call him back. Yeah. And um, yeah, it was pretty difficult, but I did it. Uh -huh. And um, I, uh, yeah, I didn't convince him of much, but uh -huh. it felt pretty good to just say what I thought and to be honest about it. And then I had some conversations with Eileen Spillane. Uh-huh, good. And, um, Unfortunately, I couldn't take the class this time, but I know that hopefully the next time that the class is offered that I'll be able to take it. But right, so you want to say the name of the class so people know what you're talking about? Well, I'm the Sangha, the Sangha has a class that's being taught by Nina Gold and Eileen Spillane, and uh, they meet on the first Tuesday of every month. I forget the the time period, but it's about white racism. It's about, it's, it's racism from the, from the perspective of a white person. Um, if I don't say it, it may not yeah. be the most correct description, but it's something that I feel like I really need uh -huh. because I'm constantly um, finding myself after I've had conversations with people realizing that hey you know that didn't go that well i mean what that person said i don't agree with and and you know sort of the talking with people and having them be really upset about the uh breaking down of stores or the rioting or the protesting but not having one word about the fact that people are being killed on video by the police for instance um so i thought and I think that that class would better prepare me and make me kind of more aware. So as things are being said, I could be better. I could better react in the moment. Uh -huh. Yeah, sounds good. So it's a class. I can't remember the name of the class about whiteness or uh, white privilege. I can't remember exactly what it's called, but it's happening now. It'll happen again. And uh, yeah, and I've done a lot of different trainings about whiteness, whiteness in Buddhism and spirituality. And um, it's important to wake up to something that, especially for white people, um, they tend to ignore because it supports one's privilege that one doesn't even think about if one is white. Right. Remember what Jane Elliott said. She said, you know, it's a land of the free for white people and it's the uh, it's the, the land of the courageous for people of color. But, you know, because I have what the white privilege that, you know, that's who I am and that's where I come from. Mm -hmm. So it's like because of this mo movement, because of talking to people like Eileen and my daughter, um, 
you know, slowly, slowly, I, I'm beginning to see it. So no, that's why we that's why we practice to wake right. up. That's exactly right, and uh, it's challenging because I didn't realize how how covered, how enmeshed, how kind of blinded I was. You know, well, I mean, you know, that's where I lived, so that's how I thought everything was. Yeah. Never really thought about looking outside of it, and uh, it's it's well because of your talking and because of your classes and because of discussions with other people, it's been an awakening. Good, good. I'm, I'm a little bit, uh, somebody just sent a note, the class is Investigating Whiteness is the formal name of the class, right? And today is actually the last day to sign up. It meets once a month for nine months. So if you're a person, a white-bodied person, check it out, because uh, you will. I mean, you know, you don't have to wait, Boyd. You, it's the last day to sign up. No, but I'm not going to be here for, they want you there for every class and I'm already scheduled to be away. Uh-huh. You can't, it's all online though. Yeah, but where I'm going to be is up in the mountains. So. <laughs> okay. You can't get any, any Wi-Fi up there these no. days, huh? Uh, okay. Thank you. Anybody else? We have three minutes. Or is that it for today? Okay, and just more, just in general. Oh, uh, Maggie, go ahead. Be, be, be concise though, Maggie, but hi. Hi. Um, thank you for tonight. Um, I just wanted to, you know, I've been really thinking about the issue of colorblindness. Mm -hmm. um, and the concept is, you know, as I'm learning, as I move forward and learning and investigating my whiteness and my privilege and even my own fragility and my discomfort and my lack of racial stamina. Um, you know, I, I find colorblindness to be still abstract to me. Mm -hmm. um, and I'm trying to understand just why and what I'm tr trying to just, I wanted to see if this makes sense. Um, is my, is is the concept of colorblindness like mixed often with the inalienable human rights that we're given, like universal human rights? Um, what are you calling colorblindness? What do you uh, mean when you say that? One, as seeing oh, seeing everybody as the same. Yeah, the assumption of universality um, that we're all one and the same. Um, yeah. yeah. And I just, I didn't know if it's so abstract to me. So I wanted to see if there was a different way I could see it more clearly. Well, here's how I understand it, is that it's a paradox because it's true. Mm -hmm. We're all, I like what Jane Elliott says, we are one race, we're a human race. And what's happened is the different coloration that our skin has got, um, systemicized, I'm making up that word, but it's a good makeup word, systemicized, meaning in terms of, you know, black, white, yellow, red, etc. And it and so like even earlier today, I went to look up colors of race of different peoples, I wanted to see what, you know, Wikipedia places said, but 
everywhere I tried to find out, it says, oh, there are five races or there are seven races. And that's a made up uh, concept, right? And so, and yet there are different uh, colorings that we all have. I mean, you know, you could just look at who's here and everybody's got a different shade of being human, right? And so we're all one on a certain level. We're all the same. And yet there is difference. And this is where I find the Dharma so helpful. It's not one or the other. It's both. That's where I think it gets really, um, yeah. Yeah. Is that okay for now? Yeah. Okay. Anyway, anything else? We can go a minute or two over. Thank you. Okay, thank you. So, and then I have uh, Nina. Do you want to say something about the the white group, since you're teaching it, Nina? I'm happy to say something since Please. it came up. Can you hear me? Yeah, you sound loud and clear. Oh, great. So, actually, I want to just say that Eileen and I are not teaching it, but we're co-facilitating it because we're really in process of um, learning and unlearning what it is to be in a white body with the participants in the group. Um, but just to say it's a really powerful experience. Um, I did this curriculum, well, I did a similar curriculum uh, last year with Paul and Eileen and um, inquiring into and reflecting on what it means and what it is to be in a white body and to be in a white body in America is a profound piece of work. Um, and to have the opportunity to do it in a group of other white people um, is, uh, it's important. And it's not, it's not like a one and done. It's a piece of work that, um, the invitation is really to take it on for our lifetime. Yes. So anyway, this program has begun and we are closing registration firmly this evening. Um, and um, you have to answer a couple questions first. Um, and I think the commitment about the program is on the website. So that's probably enough words for now, unless there are any questions. Okay, great. Let's, let's stop here. And uh, just to say a little bit about Donna, please support SFI, the teachings, with your generosity. You can go to the website and there's, uh, where do they go? Jeff, do you remember where they go? Or Nina or either one? If you just follow the prompts on the website, uh, there's a link that says donate and then it will connect you to PayPal and there'll be a drop-down menu and you can um, just, you can choose where you want the funds to go. Great, great. Okay, and last little just sharing of merit, appreciating that our, we have this time, place, community to investigate our, uh, our ignorance and also the potential for us to wake up together. 
And may the good fortune that we have that allows us to do this go out in every direction, to every realm, to every world. May all beings be happy and peaceful. May all beings be free from suffering and from prejudice in whatever form it takes, whether it's race, gender, sexuality, economics, size, body, whatever it is, may we all be free from the bias that we've uh, breathed in. And may we all wake up together, realizing our true nature, our Buddha nature, the nature of wisdom and compassion. May all beings be free. and stay six feet apart no matter what the economics are telling you to do <laughs> okay i'll see you i'm not here i am here next week i'm going to introduce this person named pamela weiss <laughs> and we're going to have a little party with her new book okay take care And I'll leave, there's a bunch of things in the chat if you're looking for how to connect with Resma and uh, Robin D'Angelo or uh, information about colorism. And uh, yeah, so please go check it out. Also, there's something here I'm seeing about, uh, um, yeah, right, this, I saw this about white women, about uh, how the suffrage suffrage movement to get the women's vote betrayed black women and things like that there's a bunch of different things and yeah okay i'll, I'll just leave it up for a couple minutes i'm gonna go be well everybody <laughs> <laughs>